Welcome to the Romance of the Three Kingdoms podcast. This is episode 29. When we last left off, Cao Cao and Yuan Shao were in a standoff in Hebei, while in Xu province, Liu Bei had captured one of the two lowly officers that Cao Cao had sent to attack him, and Zhang Fei had the other officer, Liu Dai, so scared that he would not come out of his camp to fight. After a few days of hurling all the insults he could think of to try to spur Liu Dai to give battle, Zhang Fei had an idea. He sent out word to his men that they were to prepare for a night raid around 9 o'clock that night. During the day, however, Zhang Fei sat in his tent and drank, and after a few drinks, he pretended to be drunk. He then found some excuse to get ticked off at some unfortunate soldier and gave him a good whipping. After the beating, Zhang Fei ordered the soldier to be tied up. When I set out on my raid tonight, I will kill him as a sacrifice to my banner, Zhang Fei said. But at the same time, he also secretly instructed the guards to be rather derelict of their duty. The condemned man, seeing an opening, slipped out and escaped to Liu Dai's camp, where he spilled the beans about Zhang Fei's plans for a night raid. Seeing the very real wounds on this informant, Liu Dai believed him, so he set up an ambush. He left his camp empty and had his soldiers lie in wait outside. Night came, and Zhang Fei split his forces into three armies. The army in the middle consisted of only about 30 people, who were ordered to storm into the enemy camp and set it on fire. This, however, was just a decoy to make it look like Zhang Fei had fallen for the trap. His other two armies, meanwhile, were to sneak around to the rear of the camp, when when they saw the fire, that was their signal to attack. Around 11 o'clock that night, Zhang Fei personally led a squad of elite troops to cut off Liu Dai's escape route. The decoy army then did as it was instructed, and stormed into the enemy camp and started a fire. Liu Dai, thinking Zhang Fei had taken the bait, sprang his trap and charged out with his men, but that just sprang Zhang Fei's trap, and Zhang Fei's other two armies rushed in and threw Liu Dai's forces into chaos. Liu Dai fought his way out with some scattered remnants of his army, but he ran smack dab into Zhang Fei. The road was narrow, so there was no way to go around. Liu Dai had no choice but to try to fight his way past Zhang Fei, but yeah, good luck with that. After just one bout, Zhang Fei easily captured him and the rest of Liu Dai's men surrendered. When report of the knight's victory reached Liu Bei, he said to Guan Yu, Brother Zhang had always been rash and reckless, but now that he's using his head, I have no worries. When they went out to greet their brother, Zhang Fei said to Liu Bei, Brother, you always figure I'm rash and reckless. What do you think now? If I did not rile you up with my words, would you even be willing to try a little strategy? At that, Zhang Fei roared with laughter. After the brothers had their little fun, Liu Bei saw Liu Dai being escorted over. He hurriedly dismounted, personally untied him, and said, Please forgive my brother Zhang Fei's disrespectful ways. He then welcomed Liu Dai into the city, released Wang Zhong, the other officer that he had captured, and treated them both to food and wine. Che Zhou was trying to kill me, so I had no choice but to kill him, Liu Bei told his two well-treated prisoners. 
Generals, when you two return to the capital, I hope you will put in a good word for me and explain what happened. Wait, when we return to the capital? So I guess that means you're going to let us go? Well, as you can imagine, Liu Dai and Wang Zhong were all too happy to agree to Liu Bei's request. Thank you, my lord, for not killing us, they told Liu Bei. When we see the prime minister, we will vouch for you with our family's lives. Liu Bei thanked them, and the next day he returned to them all their troops and sent them off on their way back to Xuchang. But before Liu Dai and Wang Zhong had gone far, they heard the sound of a drum, and Zhang Fei darted out and blocked their path. I don't know what my brother was thinking, he shouted. Why would you release an enemy officer that you have captured? As Liu Dai and Wang Zhong were quaking in their saddles, Zhang Fei charged toward them, but suddenly someone rode up behind him and shouted, Mind your manners! This was Guan Yu, and his presence put Liu Dai and Wang Zhong at ease. Since our brother has released them, why do you not comply with his orders? Guan Yu asked Zhang Fei. If we let them go now, they will be back again, Zhang Fei said. Well, we can wait until they come back before we kill them, Guan Yu said. At this, Liu Dai and Wang Zhong just kept saying, Even if His Excellency threatened to exterminate our whole clans, we will not dare to come back. Please spare us. Even if Cao Cao himself came, I would slaughter his army, Zhang Fei said. Fine, we will let you keep your heads for now. Breathing a huge sigh of relief, Liu Dai and Wang Zhong tucked tail and ran, while Guan Yu and Zhang Fei returned to see Liu Bei. So Liu Bei has turned away two lowly enemy officers, but everyone in Xu province knew that just meant Cao Cao was bound to pay them a visit in person, so Liu Bei had to think of something fast. Xu province is the enemy's target and we cannot stay here for long, says Sun Qian, one of Liu Bei's advisors. Why don't we station part of our forces at Xiaopei and Xiapi? That way, we can form a triangle and aid each other. Liu Bei took this advice and ordered Guan Yu to go garrison Xiapi. He also moved his two wives, Lady Gan and Lady Mi, to Xiapi as well. Liu Bei and Zhang Fei went to garrison Xiaopei, while Sun Qian, Jian Yong, Mi Zhu, and Mi Fang were left to guard Xu province. Back in the capital Xuchang, Liu Dai and Wang Zhong had returned, and when they reported to Cao Cao, they actually held up their end of the bargain and relayed that Liu Bei had no intention of rebelling. But Cao Cao was not exactly in a mood to listen. You two have disgraced the court. What is the point of keeping you around? He scolded Liu Dai and Wang Zhong and shouted for the guards to take them outside and execute them. But the court official Kong Rong intervened. These two were never going to be a match for Liu Bei, he said to Cao Cao. If you execute them, it may hurt the army's morale. Well, Cao Cao knew that Kong Rong was right, so he relented and spared their lives, but he also stripped them of their ranks and reduced them to commoners. He then began talking about personally leading an attack on Liu Bei, but Kong Rong again disagreed. It's the middle of winter, we cannot march right now, he said. Let us wait until the end of spring. For now, we can send envoys to Zhang Xiu and Liu Biao to convince them to support us. Once that is done, we can make a move on Xu province. 
So in case you need a refresher, Zhang Xiu has surrendered to Cao Cao once before, but that all went to hell when Cao Cao decided to sleep with Zhang Xiu's widow aunt, just days after accepting his surrender. So Zhang Xiu rebelled, and the fight that ensued killed Cao Cao's eldest son, his favorite nephew, and his prized general Dian Wei. Liu Biao, the imperial protector of Jing province, had been helping Zhang Xiu cause sporadic trouble for Cao Cao since then. So Cao Cao now sent an envoy to see Zhang Xiu with an offer of amnesty and asking for his allegiance. The envoy first went to see Zhang Xiu's most trusted advisor, Jia Xu. Jia Xu kept the envoy in his house and went to see Zhang Xiu himself the next day to present Cao Cao's offer. While they were talking, attendants reported that an envoy from Yuan Shao had arrived. Zhang Xiu summoned the messenger, who offered a letter from Yuan Shao that asked Zhang Xiu for his support against Cao Cao. How are things going in your lord's battle against Cao Cao? Jia Xu asked Yuan Shao's messenger. The war is temporarily on hold because of the winter, the envoy replied. My lord regards General Zhang Xiu and Imperial Protector Liu Biao as leaders of the land. That is why he has asked for your support. At this, Jia Xu laughed. Go back and tell Yuan Shao this. You could not even get along with your own cousin. How can you do that with leaders of the land? Jia Xu then tore up Yuan Shao's letter and dismissed his envoy. But Zhang Xiu was not so sure about this. Yuan Shao is stronger than Cao Cao, and now we have destroyed Yuan Shao's letter and dismissed his envoy. What if he comes here for payback? He asked Jia Xu. Why don't we go join Cao Cao? Jia Xu said. There is bad blood between Cao Cao and me. How can he tolerate me? There are three advantages to joining Cao Cao, Jia Xu said. First, Cao Cao is acting in the name of the emperor in waging war against the other lords. Second, because Yuan Shao is strong, he would not appreciate our small contingent if we joined him. On the other hand, because Cao Cao is weaker than Yuan Shao, he would be happy to have our help. Third, if Cao Cao wants to control the realm, he must put aside personal grudges and make his benevolence known across the land. I hope you will not have any second thoughts. This list was enough to convince Zhang Xiu, and he met with Cao Cao's envoy, who further put his mind at ease that Cao Cao was ready to let bygones be bygones. So Zhang Xiu and Jia Xu immediately headed to Xuchang to surrender to Cao Cao. When Zhang Xiu saw Cao Cao, he prostrated himself at the steps to the court. Cao Cao immediately helped him up, held his hand, and said, I have offended you. Please do not hold it against me. He then gave Zhang Xiu a generalship and appointed Jia Xu as an officer in the capital guard. This is one place where you really have to hand it to Cao Cao to be able to look past the fact that Zhang Xiu killed three of his favorite people and not only let him live, but to heap upon him enough kindness to ensure his loyalty. And I suppose that's the kind of thing you have to do if you want to conquer an empire. So now that Zhang Xiu has pledged his allegiance, Cao Cao asked him to write to Liu Biao to convince him to do likewise. Jia Xu advised Cao Cao that since Liu Biao loves to befriend luminaries of the day, it is best to send a noted scholar to deliver the message. 
Xun Yu then suggested that Kong Rong, who had a sterling reputation throughout the land, should be the choice. But when Xun Yu went to see Kong Rong about this, Kong Rong said, Hey, I would love to go, but I have a friend who's just the perfect choice. His name is Mi Heng, and his talent is ten times mine, Kong Rong said. He should be in the personal service of the emperor, not just tasked with some minor assignment like this. I shall recommend him to his majesty. And so he did. Kong Rong wrote a lengthy memorial to the emperor, which I will not bore you with here. In short, he said that Mi Heng was a rare talent, a man of shining integrity, who had a photographic memory and who was totally down with the force and all that good stuff. When the emperor read this, he passed it along to Cao Cao. Cao Cao then summoned this Mi Heng. When Mi Heng arrived, Cao Cao did not ask him to sit, which prompted Mi Heng to look toward the heavens and sigh. <sighs> as vast as the heaven and earth may be, there is not one worthy man to be found, he said. I have dozens of men in my service who are heroes of the age. Why do you say there is not one worthy man to be found, Cao Cao asked. Well, I would like to hear who these men are, Mi Heng replied. Xun Yu, Xun Yu, Guo Jia, and Cheng Yu are men of depth and vision, superior to even Xiao He and Chen Ping, who helped found the Han Dynasty, Cao Cao said. Zhang Liao, Xu Chu, Li Dian, and Yue Jin are unrivaled in their valor. Lu Qian, Man Cheng are my military aides. Yu Jin and Xu Huang are my vanguard generals. Xia Houdun is a rare field commander, while Cao Ren is one of Fortune's favorite generals. How then can you say that there are no worthy men? Mi Heng, however, laughed. <laughs> Your Excellency is mistaken, he told Cao Cao. I know of all those people. Xun Yu is fit to be an undertaker. Xun Yu can tend to graves. Cheng Yu can be tasked with opening and closing shop. Guo Jia's talent is in reading prose and reciting verse. Zhang Liao is suited to be a drummer boy. Xu Chu can be used to herd cattle. Yue Jin is good for receiving petitions and reading edicts. Li Dian can be a courier. Lu Qian can be tasked with sharpening your swords, while Man Chong can be put in charge of the catering. You can put Yu Jin to work lugging blocks and building walls, while Xu Huang can serve as a butcher. Xiao Dun deserves the title the unscathed general, while Cao Ren should be called the well-bribed governor. As for the rest, they are nothing more than clothes sacks, rice bags, wine casks, and meat sacks. Well, as you can imagine, Cao Cao did not exactly take kindly to this guy disparaging every one of his most trusted advisors and generals. What talent do you have? he asked Mi Heng angrily. I, Mi Heng answered, have mastered the patterns of the heavens and the contours of the land. I have knowledge of the three great teachings and the nine minor traditions. With virtue equal to that of Confucius and his dearest disciple Yan Yuan, I can make a king into a sage the likes of the legendary rulers Yao and Shun. While Mi Heng was going on like this, the general Zhang Liao, who was standing by Cao Cao the whole time, was getting pretty irate, probably in part because Mi Heng said he was fit to be a drummer boy. 
He pulled out his sword and wanted to kill Mi Heng, but Cao Cao stopped him. I am missing a drum master for our ceremonies and banquets, Cao Cao said. Mi Heng can take that job. Now this was a pretty pitiful position for someone allegedly as talented as Mi Heng, but he did not refuse and instead accepted and took his leave. That man speaks vulgarly. Why do you not kill him? Zhang Liao asked Cao Cao. He has a bit of a reputation, Cao Cao said. If I kill him, people will say that I am intolerant. Since he is so full of himself, I decided to humiliate him by making him a drummer. The next day, Cao Cao held a big feast and summoned his new drummer to provide the entertainment. As Mi Heng was about to enter, the guy who had his job before told him that the drummer must wear fresh attire, but Mi Heng walked in in his old, shabby clothes anyway. He then proceeded to play a rendition of the triple tolling of Yu Yang. The tone and rhythm were so superb, and the notes resounded with such richness that all the guests were moved to tears. When this tune was done, the attendants lectured Mi Heng about his clothes. As a big F.U., Mi Heng took off his old clothes and stood stark naked in front of all the guests, who all shielded their eyes. Mi Heng then took his sweet time putting on some new pants. You are in the hallow hall of the imperial court, Cao Cao scolded him. How dare you act with such disrespect? To abuse one's lord and to deceive one's sovereign is what I would call disrespect, Mi Heng shot back. I am merely showing the pure form my parents gave me. If you're so pure, then who is corrupt? Cao Cao asked. Well, this just set Mi Heng up. You cannot distinguish between the talented and the incompetent, Mi Heng told Cao Cao. That shows your eyes are corrupt. Your failure to chant the odes and the documents shows that your mouth is corrupt. Your rejection of loyal advice shows that your ears are corrupt. You are ignorant of the past and present, which shows your whole being is corrupt. You cannot stomach the lords of the realm, which shows your belly is corrupt. You always harbor thoughts of usurpation, which shows your mind is corrupt. I am a well-known scholar and yet you use me as a lowly drummer, making you a pale imitation of old villains who slighted Confucius and tried to ruin Mencius. If you want to become the leader of the lords of the realm, how can you hold men in such contempt? So things were getting a little testy in here now, and Kong Rong, who was present, was afraid that Cao Cao might not spare Mi Heng's life this time. So he asked Cao Cao to settle for sending Mi Heng to do hard labor as a convict. But Cao Cao pointed at Mi Heng and said, I am sending you to Jing province as my envoy. If you convince Liu Biao to surrender, then I will make you a high official. Well, Mi Heng did not want to go, but Cao Cao ordered his men to prepare three horses. Mi Heng was to ride on the middle horse, while a guard rode next to him on both sides to force him to go. But Cao Cao also ordered his advisors and officers to prepare a going-away banquet by the east gate to see Mi Heng off. There were, as you might guess, some hard feelings among that group toward the guy who called him a bunch of rice sacks, or worse. So Xun Yu told everyone to not get up when Mi Heng arrived. When Mi Heng did arrive, 
he dismounted and entered the banquet. When everyone remained seated, Mi Heng began to cry bitterly. Why are you crying? Xun Yu asked. I am walking among corpses. How can I not cry? Mi Heng said. So take that, you guys. If we're corpses, then you are a headless demon, everyone else said. Oh, I have my head. I am an official of the Han, rather than a part of Cao Cao's gang. By now, everyone has had just about enough of this guy, and they wanted to kill him. But Xun Yu stopped the mob. Do not waste your blade on a rat, he told them. Well, I may be a rat, but I still have my humanity. You all, on the other hand, are just parasitic wasps, Mi Heng told them. <sighs> so dude, do you ever stop with this act? Apparently not. I guess Mi Heng is just one of those guys who has to keep jabbing at you, no matter what you say, or do, or threaten to do to him, until you just throw up your hands and walk away grumbling. Which was what pretty much everyone at this banquet did. When Mi Heng arrived in Jing province and met Liu Biao, he sang Liu Biao's praises to the heavens, but made it perfectly obvious that he was being very sarcastic. Liu Biao was unsurprisingly displeased, so he ordered Mi Heng to go to Jiangxia to see his commander Huang Zu. Someone asked Liu Biao, Mi Heng was mocking you, my lord. Why do you not kill him? Mi Heng mocked Cao Cao time and again, and yet Cao Cao did not kill him because he did not want people to say he had killed a noted scholar, Liu Biao replied. So he sent Mi Heng to me, hoping to use me to kill him. I have sent Mi Heng to Huang Zu, so as to show Cao Cao that I saw through his trick. While everyone was singing Liu Biao's praises for his intelligence, a messenger arrived from Yuan Shao. So Liu Biao now had an envoy from each of the two most powerful men in the empire, both asking him for his allegiance. He asked his advisors how he should proceed. One of those advisors, Han Song, said, Right now, Yuan Shao and Cao Cao are in a standoff. If you have serious ambitions, then this is your opportunity to destroy your enemies. If not, then side with the better man. Cao Cao is adept at warfare, and many talented men have flocked to his banner. His intention is most likely to take out Yuan Shao first, and then move his army toward the Southlands. If he does that, you might not be able to resist him. But if you pledge the province and your allegiance to him now, Cao Cao would definitely treat you well. Hmm, then why don't you go to Xuchang and fill out Cao Cao, and then we can make a decision, Liu Biao said. Sovereigns and officials are both bound to certain duties, my lord, Han Song said. Right now, I am in your service, so even if I am asked to risk life and limb, I will obey your orders. If you are going to pledge your allegiance to the emperor and prime minister Cao, then I can go represent you. However, if you remain indecisive, and then the emperor gives me a position when I arrive in Xuchang, then I would be the emperor's official, and no longer yours. Despite this warning, Liu Biao still persisted in his indecision. Just go and get a feel for the situation. I have my own plans, he told Han Song. So Han Song went to Xuchang as order and met with Cao Cao. As he predicted, Cao Cao made him a privy counselor and the governor of Lingling. But Cao Cao's advisor Xun Yu was confounded by this. 
Han Song is here to feel out the situation, he said to Cao Cao. He has not the slightest merit to his name, and yet you have given him a high office. Meanwhile, we have not heard anything from Mi Heng, and your excellency has not even bothered to ask. Why? Mi Heng went too far in mocking me, Cao Cao said, so I am using Liu Biao to kill him. There is no need to ask about him anymore. Cao Cao then sent Han Song back to Jing province to convince Liu Biao to submit. When Han Song saw Liu Biao, he sang the court's praises and advised Liu Biao to send his son to court to attend to the emperor, or in other words, serve as a hostage. Liu Biao was irate when he heard this. He called Han Song a traitor and wanted to execute him, but Han Song shouted back, General, I have not betrayed you. It is you who have betrayed me. Liu Biao's top advisor, Kuai Liang, also chimed in and reminded Liu Biao that, hey, this was exactly what Han Song warned you would happen before you insisted that he go to Xuchang. Faced with this, Liu Biao decided to let Han Song go. Around the same time, word came from Jiangxia that Mi Heng had been killed by Huang Zu. What happened was that when Huang Zu was feasting with Mi Heng, they both got a little tipsy, and Huang Zu asked Mi Heng who were the greatest men in the capital. There's Kong Rong and Yang Xiu. Aside from them, there are no great men, Mi Heng answered. What do you think of me, Huang Zu asked, fishing for a compliment. But boy, was he barking up the wrong tree. You are like the gods in the temple, Mi Heng answered. You receive offerings, but it's all for nothing. How dare you compare me with a wooden statue, Huang Zu raged. So he had Mi Heng executed. Even to the end, Mi Heng never stopped hurling insults at Huang Zu. So I guess he died as he lived, a cynic who spat in the face of authority. When Liu Biao heard about Mi Heng's death, he lamented the loss of such a noted scholar, and he ordered Mi Heng be buried on Yingwu Isle. When Cao Cao heard the news, however, he just smiled and said, That rotten pedant, his sharp tongue did him in. But the whole B story of Mi Heng aside, there was still the larger issue of Liu Biao's allegiance, or lack thereof. When Cao Cao saw that Liu Biao had not surrendered to him, he wanted to march south and put Liu Biao in his place. But Xun Yu convinced him to focus on Yuan Shao first, and then Liu Bei, before worrying about the south. While Cao Cao is worrying about Yuan Shao and the like, let's shift our attention to someone else he should be worrying about but wasn't at the time, the imperial in-law Dong Cheng and his little band of conspirators who had been tasked by secret decree from the emperor to eliminate Cao Cao. Their group was now missing Liu Bei, who ran off to Xu province, and Ma Teng, who had returned to Xiliang to await further development. Dong Cheng and the other conspirators who remained in the capital met day and night to try to think of a way to get rid of Cao Cao, but they were coming up with nothing. During the New Year ceremonies for the year 200, Dong Cheng saw that Cao Cao was increasingly arrogant and ruthless. Dong Cheng brooded over this until he fell ill. When the emperor heard that his brother-in-law was sick, he sent the royal physician to tend to Dong Cheng. This physician was named Ji Ping, and he was a famous doctor. He went to Dong Cheng's residence to tend to him day and night. While he was there, he often noticed Dong Cheng sighing, 
but Ji Ping did not dare to ask why. On the fifteenth day of the first month of the new year, which was a holiday, Ji Ping was planning to leave, but Dong Cheng invited him to stay for a meal. After they drank for several hours, Dong Cheng began to feel tired, so he loosened his clothes and fell asleep. Suddenly, his attendants reported that Wang Zifu and the other three conspirators were paying him a visit, so Dong Cheng went out to greet them. Our time has come, Wang Zifu said. Do tell, Dong Cheng asked. Liu Biao has allied with Yuan Shao, and they are mobilizing ten armies, totaling 500,000 troops, and advancing on Xuchang. Meanwhile, Ma Teng and Han Sui have joined up and are advancing from the north with 720,000 troops. Cao Cao has mobilized all of his forces to deal with these two invasions, so security inside the capital is light. If we combine the servants from our five houses, we would have about a thousand men at our disposal. Cao Cao is feasting at home tonight. We can surround his residence and surprise him. We must not miss this golden opportunity. Dong Cheng was ecstatic, and he immediately called his servants to arms. He himself donned a suit of armor, grabbed his spear, and hopped on a horse. He and his fellow conspirators agreed to meet by the inner gate and move together. Around 7 o'clock that night, they all met up with their men and advanced on Cao Cao's residence. Dong Cheng stormed straight into the private quarters with sword in hand. There, he spotted Cao Cao in the middle of a feast. Cao Cao, you rebel! Stay where you are! Dong Cheng shouted as he swung his sword at Cao Cao. As he struck, Cao Cao fell to the ground. So has Dong Cheng ushered in a new golden age for the Han court? Who will be the power players in this new political landscape? Is Yuan Shao going to fill this power vacuum? Find out next time on the Romance of the Three Kingdoms podcast. Thanks for listening.